remarked in the first hour that uh, this was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony of God's dealing with him which is another reason that I believe he was converted. I'm not going to read the entire chapter again. But I'll read from verse 28. All this that had been told Nebuchadnezzar was going to happen to him all this came up on the king, Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, he's kind of reminiscing with himself, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men. Thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. Seven times shall pass over thee, or seven years, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, his nails like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding, my mind, returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praise and honored him that liveth forever, <clears throat> whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the heavens, among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me. I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And again, uh, that last verse uh, is sufficient to convince me that uh, the Lord had converted Nebuchadnezzar. Whether I'm right or wrong, that uh, sounds like a converted man to me. We looked in uh, the first hour at some exhibitions of God's sovereignty over nations, His sovereignty over inanimate creation, brute creation, and over individuals. We continue to preach now. He is sovereign in the exercise of His power. <coughs> Earthquakes, hornets, suns, floods, all of those things God brought to pass and they are used for showing that He is God and that uh, He works everything according to His own will. He exercises His great power as He wills, when He wills, and where He wills. Sometimes in Scripture, His power seems dormant for a time, but then it bursts forth in some scene that uh, lots of us can call to remembrance from time to time. God exercised His power 
completely and quickly on Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Jericho was destroyed in the most singular fashion. I've never read of another city that the walls fell down after people marched around it and when they blew their horns. God delivered David from Goliath, delivered Daniel from the lions, delivered the three Hebrew children in power from the fiery furnace in his great power. And others, he did not remember. In Hebrews 11, you'll remember that it, uh, the apostle is giving it, uh, a number of things that uh, show forth the greatness of God. In Hebrews 11, I bring this in because uh, because that it is not a happy event, because God is sovereign over unhappy events also. And God's people prove they are His people by going on with uh, their faith in Him, their trust in Him, when all the terrible and unhappy things that happen in their lives. They don't do like we would be apt to do with a, a friend or maybe even a relative and say, well, that, that's the way you're going to be. I don't want to do with you. But God's people go on with God. They yield to His sovereignty. They bow to His sovereignty because they know that uh, as believers, He's working everything for their good. He's not being cruel to them. He's not being mean to them. That is a, a signal evidence of real faith in God that uh, even though many miserable things take place, a uh, family dies, our closest ones to us die, and so forth and so on, it does not affect our relationship with our God. He is our Lord. And we know that because He is a good God, He's not doing anything towards us that is not good, ultimately. None of us are smart enough to fathom God's purposes and know why He does what He does. And uh, it's, uh, if you want to pray to God and ask Him why, you go ahead. But uh, the fact is, you're going to live with what God apportions out to you anyway. So it's just as well to go on and say, you're my God and I'm going to love you and I'm going to serve you. Whatever uh, is appointed for me to have to go through. I know that you're not a cruel God to your people, but everything, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God exercises his great power sovereignly. <clears throat> Stephen and James were executed, but Peter was delivered from prison. We must conclude that God exercises his power as he desires, and that is sovereignly. God is sovereign in delegating His power to others. Jesus gave power to the twelve apostles, and uh, there's no reason to think that even Judas was not able uh, or was not vested with this authority uh, in doing things to help people. Uh, I see nothing in the Scripture that says that He did not have that power. None of the others are said to have been looking at him sideways or anything like that. And uh, we know that he was not a converted man, that he was appointed from eternity to the position uh, that he exercised in forsaking Christ and uh, turning against him. God gave power to the twelve to heal even to raise the dead from time to time. 
and also to seventy others besides them. He gave Methuselah power to outlive all others, 969 years. We may ask why. Well, somebody had to be the oldest. I'm glad the scripture tells us that Methuselah was the oldest. At least we know that much. He gave Samson more strength than any other. He gives authority to all rulers. And I'm going to read that because uh, some of us are not uh, very happy with uh, the way it's Quite a few of our rulers choose to rule. But for our comfort, we can take this to heart and keep it to heart. God is ruling over them. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't seem like it. And when they talk, it sure doesn't sound like it. But God's overall purpose from eternity is whatever is coming to pass in time. God has appointed all things whatsoever come to pass, and that for purposes of His glory. <clears throat> in chapter 13 of Romans, verses 1 through 4, that every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That is one of the main things that every Christian needs to know that God calls upon him to be in subjection to all lawful authority. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are appointed, ordained of God. Why does God appoint these people? We will not be smart enough to understand if He told us probably. But God is God. He doesn't have to explain to you or me why he does what he does. Thankfully, many times he does explain things, but uh, the rest of the time, we are just happy to be his people, happy that he appointed us from eternity to salvation and not left us to ourselves as miserable sinners that we were to perish eternally. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance or appointment of God. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, the word that's translated damnation can, uh, sometimes is translated judgment, which is a milder sounding word uh, than damnation. And it could have been used that way here. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister, the servant of God, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God and revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You know, uh, we grow up through childhood and we get up to uh, our teen years and uh, talk to other teens and some schools, if you went to public school as I did, some of the schools, uh, the the, uh, teens are really, really bad influences on each other. And they teach each other to hate the police. They teach each other to hate the lawful authority that God has appointed. As Christians, we're not allowed that prerogative. Doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that they do. Uh, we can try to vote them out of office. And if you, you feel badly enough or strong enough about it, run for office yourself and try to get in there and uh, get to where you can help cast them out or something like that. But as Christians, we are to obey lawful authority, authority that does not contradict God's Word and God's truth and God's laws given for us. He gave Samson the strength that no other man had. He gives authority to all rulers. He gives many men 
powers to get rich, mental powers, tenacity, uh, an evil genius we may say sometimes. The answer can only be, if we ask why he does this with some and not with others, that God is sovereign and he does as he pleases. I have heard a few times, I'll try to be mildly, uh, more mild-mannered than I am sometimes because of our, for our visitors' sake, I have heard certain ignorant uh, denominational preachers even claim that God, uh, that uh, uh, God comes and talks to them, Lord Jesus comes and uh, comes to their room and sits down in a chair and talks to them and consults with them about what he's going to do. Well, anybody that talks like that is either a long-gone idiot or he just a, a lying hypocrite preying on other fools. But he is a fool because he is a liar. <clears throat> and God has a, a place for those kind of liars, somebody trying to uh, make people think there's something that they're not. reason that uh, some people are what they are and do what they do is because God is sovereign and in His government He has directed and uh, permitted those things to take pass. Yes, God permits the wickedness, the wicked things of this world to take place. Surely you don't think that God couldn't keep that from happening. <laughs> if God can't keep wicked things from happening, then there's somebody more powerful than God. That is all part of God's plan. Bite the bullet. Acknowledge that you really do believe that God is sovereign. What His purposes are, we don't know in many, many things. The tiniest little insect that you can see, and some of them are about as big as the head of a pen, is made by God, and He has a purpose for it. And something is happening because God happens, because God exercises His authority and creates all of the things that He's created. They're all in part of His eternal plan for the whole creation and all of life. God is sovereign in the exercise of His mercy. Moses and Aaron sinned. And they died. Of course, everybody's going to die, but they wanted to go into the new promised land. God said, no, you didn't do what I told you. You took glory to yourself at a time when I told you to speak to the rock and you struck it your staffs, you're not going in. You go up on top of the mount. From there, you can get a good look north, look, look, north, east, south, and west. You'll see much of the country from that position, but you're not going into the promised land. God is sovereign in the exercise of His mercy. You find that in Deuteronomy 3, 25 and 26. Hezekiah was told of his death. And he prayed. And God gave him 15 more years. Ahab worshipped Baal and was damned. Manasseh burnt his own children in the fire to Moloch. And God saved him. We don't know why God does what He does. I don't know why I cannot assign any reason because I certainly cannot assign any worthiness why He would have saved me. And if you think honestly as a Christian, you can't think of any reason why He should have saved you either. <clears throat> Jesus showed the same sovereignty 
John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent, that is crippled or paralyzed, folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. That a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And naturally, the uh, brain-dead Satan serving scribes and Pharisees Jews leaders took issue with that said it's not lawful for this man to carry his bed and then hated the Lord Jesus because of it you read this account, these first nine verses, does it ever appear to your mind all those people were there? Many of them have probably been coming there for many years. And yet Christ only healed this one person. If Christ was wanting to advertise Himself, why didn't He heal all of the people that was there? He could have, you know. Or do you think He couldn't? Christ is holy God and holy man. What He carried out was God's eternal purpose. All of this, nothing of this, it was incidental. Jesus didn't know it was going to happen. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda because the man that He was going to heal was there. Why He didn't heal the others, God knows. The Lord Jesus knows. But it could be that at a later time He did heal some of them. We don't know. But my subject is God's sovereignty. You cannot argue but that this is a major evidence of God's absolute sovereignty. Oh, I hear people take on about sweet, sweet Jesus. Sweet baby Jesus. Oh, Jesus is so sweet. I never think of Jesus as sweet. I think of Him as true. As strong. As right. He's not a licorice stick to lick on. He is God. God joined to man in human nature. He's the God man. And everyone who thinks about Jesus should think with a great deal of uh, strongness of mind concerning who He is and not uh, insult Him by having Patty Wace thoughts about him. <clears throat> Jesus showed this great sovereignty. Why didn't he heal all those folks? We don't know. We know this. Judas denied Jesus and went to hell. Peter denied Jesus and went to heaven. Romans 9:15 through 21 
is the only satisfactory answer to many questions that we we might have. Since we're back near the Gospels, I'll go back to Matthew eleven twenty six because it gives essentially the same answer. After he tells Capernaum that in verse 24 that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee, the scripture says in verse 25 at that time Jesus answered that there was some secret communication between his mind and the Father, apparently. I th- and answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth because I hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. That's why things happen like they happen. Because it's right or it's good in the sight of God. And now going to Romans chapter 9. verse 15, we see the Apostle Paul's uh, answer. I think I need to read. I think I won't do you a disservice by just reading from uh, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because He chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. They were twins. I don't know if they were identical or not. Scripture doesn't tell, but they were twins. And while they were still in the womb, God had chosen Jacob and rejected or left to himself Esau. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Is that hard to understand? Too many big words in there for you to understand it? No, it's not hard to understand. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And I'll read a little farther. So then, it's not of him that willeth. All free will or worshipers need their noses rubbed in this until it raises a blister that leaves a scar so they'll remember it. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. God's mercy is shown sovereignly. It's shown according to His will, according to His purpose. And He is not going to sit down and explain a hundred trillion purposes which works out in all of the whole providence of all of creation and His ruling of it and everything that He's created and all He's doing with all of it. He's not going to explain that every time You want to know something. You've got enough to know. God is a good God. He's not mean. He's not cruel. He's absolutely just. He's perfect in justice, perfect in righteousness, wonderful in mercy, and in the love of His people. It's beyond understanding that He could love a bunch of cruds like we are. But we can yield the wonder of His grace that He will save whoever comes to Him. And in due time, may He call all of you here who are not believers. May He open your heart and bring you to Himself. Therefore hath He mercy on whom He will have mercy and whom He will whom He will He hardeneth. 
God hardened Pharaoh's heart. From 14 to 16 times you will find in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And all of those judgments that came down. And some of it's in Deuteronomy also. Why didn't God save all of these people that was at that pool? Because He's God. It wasn't in His purpose to save them. But I can say, if they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they may not have gotten healed physically, but they would have been healed spiritually. And there was Jesus working this miracle, giving good evidence that He could save people because He had rule over their bodies. And they should have sought Him out. And uh, perhaps some of them did. Romans 9.15 is the only satisfactory answer to many, many questions concerning why God does what He does or doesn't do what we want Him to do. Because He's God. And He's ruling everything. And who is that is a real believer is going to challenge God or challenge His righteousness and say He's not doing people right. Remember. Always remember when you have those kind of sad questions come to your mind. They're put there by your depraved nature. They're put there by perhaps some satanic influences. But always remember that mankind in Adam and Eve apostatized from God. And God threatened all mankind through Adam and Eve with death and destruction. And He passed that judgment on Adam and Eve when they sin, when they apostatize. God is sovereign in the exercise of His love. He loves whom He chooses to. We just read that in Romans 15, 9, 15, and 16. He doesn't love Satan, you may say, because, but there's nothing in Satan for him to love. And there's no more to love in any man than there is in Satan. All are aligned with Satan against God. So, well, I was never a Satan worshiper. <laughs> the definition of worship is broad enough that whether you know it or not, when you were lost, you were a worshiper of Satan. <clears throat> you might have hated the very thought, even as an unbeliever, that you would bow down and, and uh, really mentally and verbally worship Satan. But the fact is, we were all followers of Satan, ruled by Satan, and therefore worshipers of Satan before we became believers. There's no more to love in any man than in Satan. All of us were aligned with Satan against God. All are by nature, by nature, by what we are when we come forth out of the womb. Nay, what we are when God brings the seed to fruition in the womb. We are children of wrath. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. You hath He quickened, made alive, spiritually alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein, that is in this death, in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know who the prince of the power of the air is, don't you? That's Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Yes, you've had dealings with Satan. All of you lost people are having dealings with Satan. You just don't know it. 
He doesn't stick a pen in you. He doesn't make your eyes spinning in your head or something when He's working in you, when He's leading you, when you're following Him. You just feel like everything, you're doing it. That's what your senses are telling you. You're doing it, or the weather is doing it, or somebody else is doing it. You don't give any thought to the fact that you are a worshiper of Satan if you are not a worshiper of the true God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a slave of Satan if you are not a worshiper of the true God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our way of life, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were all pretty bad. And left to ourselves, still are. Who would have ever thought that this nation, just a few short years, could come from wanting to execute people, women even, who aborted their babies even in a closet with some kind of instrument or something. That's usually the ones that hurt themselves badly and a few, not a very high percentage of them killed themselves doing that. But who would have thought that thousands, maybe millions of people in this country could have come down to the place that we are now when because a favorable ruling has been made which is going to spare some lives because tens of thousands of people in this country maybe millions, probably millions to hate that ruling come out marching in the street because they no longer have a right in some states to murder an unborn human being. I'll tell you that justice would be if a woman did harm herself aborting a baby, finish the job, hang her. She has murdered a living human being. <clears throat> and any man that helped her or urged her on it, hang him too! Amen. That would be justice. Say, so, well, don't you care if they believe them? Well, sure, but time, but between the time they're arrested and the time they get hung, they've got all kinds of time to be crying out to God for mercy. Pleading with God to enable them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. I've never hung anybody, never even shot anybody. If I was going to kill somebody, though, I wouldn't hang them, I'd shoot them. It's easier. <laughs> That's uh, a ridiculous joke. We are by nature the children of wrath, among whom also we all had our way of life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Well, let's press on. If there's nothing in any to love, and yet God loves some, the cause must then if you can reason at all, lie in Him. The cause lies in Him. Say, yeah, but I believe on God. Well, you know, there's faith and there's faith. There's faith in a boat. There's faith in a chair. There's faith in this, that, or the other. But all of it is non-saving faith until God regenerates you and causes you to turn to Christ and worship Him. That is a singular faith. There's none like it. It is the faith of God's elect. 
The faith that God gives to those whom in eternity He appointed to salvation and in His ruling of all providence brings them to salvation ultimately. No believer who is savvy to how lost a lost man is can ever come to the place that he can flatter himself that God saw something in him that made him want to say to no. God from eternity appointed who he was going to make and who he is going to save. And if you don't like that, you just don't like God's justice and God's righteousness. And you better take that up with God because that's a very, very bad place to be in. You bow to God. You bow to God because every heartbeat, every heartbeat is God's power at work in you. Those little electric currents that are necessary to keep your heart beating, your brain working. God is ruling them. God put them there. And God is influencing your life in thousands of ways, and I'm not smart enough to tell you what they are, but I, I can tell you, you're not free from God at any time. There's not one second of your existence that you're free from the authority of Almighty God. May God cause that to come home to your heart, even you little children. Get it nailed there in your heart so you can never forget that truth. And may then, as you're old enough to understand something, bring you to the fear of God through His wonderful grace. God loved Jacob before they were born in His grand sovereignty. Just like he loves all of his people. First John chapter four. Verse ten. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. Do you get that? Take it phrase by phrase. Not that we love God. Many people will tell you that they love God when they don't even make a profession of faith. They love God. They've got some Santa Claus God in mind. They've got sweet baby Jesus in a cradle in a manger. He didn't even have a cradle. He was in the straw. Whatever they laid on top of the straw. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the expiation, the justifier from our sins. And again, in verse 19, we love Him. We love Him. Oh, we love God. Because He first loved us. You don't love God as long as you're a lost man. Your ideas about God are so off base that you won't even believe on Him. That's right. You think you're a reasonable person. You think you're an intelligent person. You can score high on intelligence tests in school. But how smart is anyone who says he believes God and knows there's a hell, a day of judgment, and a hell to be cast into and a heaven to be put into if you believe God and walk with Him? And by not choosing to seek after Christ, they opt to go to hell instead. How smart are they? How reasonable are they? You say, well, that's completely unreasonable. Yes, it is. I know, because I lived a fool for 25 years. 
well into my 25th year before I was converted. I couldn't blame our daddy because he didn't take us to church. But I had a Bible. I won a Bible in grade school for memorizing a hundred verses. David Webster and I memorized a hundred verses out of the Bible. Didn't teach me anything. I was dumb as a stump. I was just memorizing to win a Bible. Oh, dear brethren, and you who are not as yet brethren, don't think that you know about God's love. If you're not actively loving Him and serving Him, All are by nature children of wrath, as I read. There's nothing in any to love, and yet God loves His people. And the cause of Him loving His people is in His own self. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, Having made known unto us, note, the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. And in 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. God didn't love you because He saw something good in you. (laughs) No, no, no. He loved you because He created you to save you who are saved. And in due time, He brought John 3.3 to pass, except a man be born again or born from above. He cannot see or perceive the kingdom of God. Let that sink in. 1 John, again, says things like that many times. Don't think that He loves all men as so many preachers preach. He drowned the whole world at one time. You know that. Drowned the whole world except for Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. He loved Jacob before they were born just like He loved all of His people. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. States it again. Excuse me, Ephesians. I come in on my notes and as I study them, sometimes I have another thought and, and write that and try to write between lines. Sometimes I get things covered up to where it's hard to read the words. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places not because we were anything but in Christ. In Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him. That's election. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. It says, and then it goes on to verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It doesn't give man any credit for his salvation. Salvation is all of God. And it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we do believe. But it's with faith that God gives us 
the faith that God gives us. You know, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace are you saved through faith, and not of your that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, not of anything that any man can do, not effort of any kind, lest any man should boast. God's big deal about making men and saving men was not His compassion for men. Everything that was done was done for the glory of God. That's right. God gets glory to Himself in all that He does. For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Well, it's time for me to close, so I'll close at this place. Note that in love He predestined us to adoption in Jesus. And it doesn't say because of our good works or because we were smarter than other people. If you once let anything get across to people where they can think that they are doing, have God found some reason in them why He should save them. You're robbing God of glory. The reason that salvation is as it is is that it's all for God's glory. Don't try to rob God of His glory. Be thankful and rejoice and love God for the wonder of His grace and mercy. Because if you know yourself, you know you don't deserve an eternity in the wonders of whatever heaven is going to be. The glory and the love of God that you're going to be involved in at all times. We don't deserve any of it. And God did not save any of us because of anything worthwhile in us. He saved us because that's how he's getting glory to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will, he's sovereign in the exercise of his love. For now, will he dismiss us, please? Dismissed.